0: Uh, I'm uh, Dan or, or DG and uh, I'm the youth pastor here and so every time uh, I, I preach to high school students, we play a game, so we're gonna play a game because uh, I love reality TV shows. Is this reality show real or fake? It's fairly simple, you'll see a reality TV show, you just have to decide whether it's real or fake. So here's the first one, farmer wants a wife. Farmers are set up with a number of women from the city which they choose one to marry. Hands up real, hands up fake. Okay, that one is real. Well done, if you guessed it's real. It hasn't been on for ages, but I'd watch that. Uh, Okay, what about this one? The Fatula, a show that combines The Bachelor and The Biggest Loser in which contestants compete to gain love and lose weight at the same time. Hands up real. Hands up fake. Yeah, it's fake, but don't you wish it was real, though? Don't you wish? Okay, uh, what about this one? The best thing I ever stole. Uh, Ex-cons comparing items they found in house robberies before they were put in prison. Hands up real. Hands up fake. Yeah, that one is fake. Well done. You guys are good at this. Some people who put their hands up for real are honestly disappointed at that. It's like, I would watch that. Wouldn't that be fascinating? Wouldn't it? Couple more. What about this one? Born in the wild. Expected mothers taking natural birth to the extreme. <laughs> Hands up real. Hands up fake. Yeah, it's real. Um, let's just linger in that awkwardness for a little bit. Moving swiftly on. Last one. Armed and famous. Five celebrities following a program to train to become police officers in a small town. Hands up real. Hands up fake. That one's real. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Isn't reality TV so, so, so good? I love reality TV shows. Now, uh, I like I said, I'm the youth pastor. I've spoken here a few times, and I have uh, talked on radio. That's what I do for a, for a living. I'm the breakfast show host on, on Rima. It's actually quite a bit of my life with quite a few people, and one of the things that I don't necessarily talk a whole ton about is my love and passion for reality TV shows. Don't judge me, we're gonna go there in a second. My favorite of all the reality TV shows is Survivor. Anybody else a fan of Survivor? Not so much the New Zealand one. It's good, but come on. We're we're going to the OG back in 2001. Jeff probes, get some Americans, million dollars on an island, I would watch that show daily. I love it. I, so, so, it's been on since I was 11 and I have never missed an episode. Does that make me sad? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. But we all love reality TV shows. If you are better than the rest of us and you are so fast in the Netflix lane, they've even branched into reality TV on Netflix. There's the cupcake making show or the nailed it show, you've seen this, where you try and recreate the baking and it never goes well. We love it. And the reason they make it is because we keep watching it. And it's fascinating. Maybe for you, it's the one that captures all of New Zealand's heart, and it's the block, right? If you're into the, uh, the old DIY or dancing with the stars or dancing with the used-to-be stars, <laughs> depending on how you view that. Uh, maybe for you, it is the relationship ones. Maybe it's the family ones, like the following the Kardashians or the Crazy Housewives, or it's The Bachelor. I can't do The Bachelor. It, it hurts to watch. But I think the reason we love reality TV, is because there is always a hater. This is the person that brings the drama, they bring the tension, they bring the negativity, and you know that they're the hater because the music shifts when they enter the room, or like when it's their turn to talk, it's like it all goes down, and everyone is on a knife's edge when this person is in the conversation, right? Because you know the only thing they're going to say, never a positive, never anything good, it is what is bad, what is ugly, what is wrong with this situation or with this person. There is always a hater. And if we were going to be really, really, really honest, we would say that there isn't just haters on reality TV, but actually there is a little bit of hater in all of us. Maybe you work with a hater. Maybe you are in a circle of friends with a hater, someone, and don't say their name out loud, but maybe it's that person that you know that whenever they're there, it's always uneasy. It's, it's always not, no one's really comfortable around this person. And maybe you could think of this, the times when you have been the hater. Now, if you're not quite sure what we're hating is, it really just boils down to this. It boils down to judging. It boils down to you or someone sizing somebody up and then casting them off. You make a snap judgment. And we do this all the time. We do it so naturally. We're really, really quite good at it. And it's not really a great thing, right? Judging where you just kind of make a call on somebody, a snap decision, and that's, that's sort of it. What I think is, is fascinating about judging is that we, we, we don't like it. No, nobody uses the word hater as a compliment, right? If, if you're someone who judges, no one says, oh man, that guy, he's such a hater. I really respect him for that. No one enjoys that part. And, and, and certainly nobody, when they, they use the word hater, no one's going to trust a hater. If you have that reputation of the person who always brings the negative, who always is first to point out what is wrong in a situation or with a group of people, You can't build a relationship on that. And certainly, and this is so, so true, nobody likes being hated on, and we've all experienced this. Don't for a second think that this stops in high school, because you know what it's like. If you have a pulse, if you have to live with other people, if you work with other people, then you know what it is to be on the receiving end of maybe totally called for, maybe honest, maybe real, but negative hurts. Nobody likes being hated on. So what do we do? What do we do with this tension? If it's something that we are so good at, and if it's something that comes so easily to all of us, how do we live with this? Maybe for you, or maybe you are the person who doesn't, or you know someone who doesn't like church because of this. Because I don't think you have to have a long conversation with just, you know, random on the street person before judging is going to come up. Why aren't you in church anymore? Because they're just a bunch of judgmental Christians. Why do you not feel comfortable in a church environment? Or why do you not feel comfortable going to a small group? Because I'm afraid I'm going to be judged. We all know how despicable we are, right? Despicable me. We know our own flaws, our own weaknesses. And the reason we judge others is because as long as the spotlight's on somebody else, then the spotlight's not on me. And that's okay. I think that's part of why we jump so fast to judging. No putting the rock down. Remember, hold on to that. We're going to go to a story in John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. One of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And this encounter that Jesus has takes place on the Temple Mount. It's a story, if you've been in church, you probably know this story. But I want you to hold on to the emotion, hold on to the tension of where we're going. Because I think there's something so profound in what we all experience in this encounter as he that's Jesus was speaking early in the morning at the Temple Mount, right? Sort of the epicenter of all of the activity that happens in ancient Judaism. So we're in the you know first century. As he's speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, the perennial bad guys, I always think of the stormtrooper music whenever the Pharisees get a mention. You just know something's gonna go wrong. They bring a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. So the Pharisees, if you're not super kind of into church culture, the Pharisees love They're sort of like the Hall of Famers when it comes to judgmentalism, when it comes to judging. This was their deal, right? So the Ten Commandments and and all these other hundreds of laws that Moses has and that the Jews live by. And it was the Pharisees' job to kind of make sure that everyone was knowing those rules and living by those rules. The buck stopped with them in terms of you and your relationship with God, and so for you know... For generations, every week or every month or every year, Jews would bring a sacrifice to this very place, and they would make that sacrifice so that they could leave right with God, okay? So the Pharisees were all about people being on the right side of the law, and Jesus was kind of not about that. In the same way, as he was starting to build his crowd, as he was starting to build his following, it seemed like he was more interested in the heart of the person than on what side of the law they were on. The kinds of people that he chose to have follow him, the kinds of people that he would choose to hang out with, it seemed like he cared more about the person than about whether they were on the right or wrong side of all of these laws. And as he was building a crowd, as he was building a following, the Pharisees were afraid that they were going to lose control of the crowd that they wouldn't have the same power and authority that they had once had. So they bring this woman to Jesus and they put her in front of the crowd. The trap is starting to be set. I don't think it's a mistake as to why they've got her there and we don't have time to talk about why it's just her and not the fella because it takes two for adultery. But I don't think it's a mistake that they've brought her to Jesus where he is. At the very epicenter of where we all pay for our sins. And the story continues. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act of And don't forget, like, we're talking adultery, adultery. Like, one of the top 10 commandments, we know maybe a handful of them, but one of them is thou shalt not commit adultery. It's written in the old-fashioned English. Like, don't do it. It's a big, big no-no. And there's kind of laying this foundation. Jesus, we caught her in the act. They are ready to set this tension up. The law of Moses says we are to stone her. What do you say? So Jesus has this following for preaching on compassion and on grace and on mercy. And so Jesus now is faced with a choice. Is he going to, given where he is? Jesus, we could take you to the ark. We could show you the original stone tablets, many Jews believing, etched by the finger of God himself. Jesus, we could take you, we could show you, it says it there on stone, do not commit adultery. The law of Moses says we are to stone her. What do you say? Are you going to forgive this woman on the very site where our holy laws are kept? Or are you going to, in some insane way, say that you are higher than the law of Moses? It's not Jesus versus the Pharisees. This is Jesus versus the very essence of what it means to be one of God's holy people. You're following these laws or you're not. So either way, Jesus is losing the influence of the crowd. He's either going to force this woman to be put to death or he's going to say that actually, no, I'm better than the law and he's going to lose the crowd either way. This is why they have set Jesus up. And I'm not just reading into the fact that they've set Jesus up. John actually says they're trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. Not so that he would get in trouble with them, so that he would get in trouble with the crowd. Because if you lose the crowd, you lose the influence, and it 's the influence that the Pharisees really really wanted. so this is all happening. no putting down your rock. Jesus does what I only Jesus could do in a situation like that, and he gets down in the dust and scribbles with his finger. I think this is so, so weird, and I remember hearing this story as in you know in youth group and I just don't get it. It's one of those things that as this gets brought up to to Jesus, you feel like the disciples, John there writing this down, is like shying away because they can feel that they're about to lose the crowd. And if they come after Jesus, they're probably going to come after me as well. So I'm backing away. Maybe that's why John doesn't write down what Jesus is scribbling in the dirt. You sort of wish that he'd stayed a little closer, that he'd taken note of what it was, maybe got his phone out, taken a picture of it. So, they could share with the rest of us. It's worth researching if you want to go down a Google rabbit hole of what a whole lot of theologians and scholars and people way smarter than me have thought about what Jesus is scribbling in the dirt. It's worth going into. But I don't think it's really all that necessary for, for this. Jesus gets down in the dirt and he's scribbling with his finger. The Pharisees aren't having a bar of it. They're not letting him get away without an answer. They demand an answer. So Jesus finally stands up and says, all right, all right. The law says we are to stone her. All right, but don't think for a second, guys, that I don't know where we're standing. Don't think for a second that I've forgotten where we are because yes, we're close to the 10 commandments, but this is a place where you've all been before. This is a place where every week, every month, every year, since you were a little boy, you would have come here To make a sacrifice for your sins. So let he who has never sinned throw the first stone. Don't think I don't know where we are, the significance of where we are, because you've all been here before. So whoever hasn't sinned, has never sinned, you go for it. Can you imagine what's going through the woman's head at this point? She's kind of here. She's probably not uh, wearing a ton. It's early in the morning. It's cold. There are a whole lot of people around, and she's hearing this conversation happening above her, cowering at Jesus' feet. And as they kind of bring her towards Jesus, you sort of get this idea that, well, maybe this might go okay. This is Jesus, and he has a reputation for forgiveness and grace and compassion, but I'm not 100% sure how this is going to go, for me, now that he's saying, all right, and let whoever hasn't sinned throw the first stone. That still means a stone for, for me. That's, that's scary. And then Jesus gets back down into the dust and, and scribbles. And what happens next, so kind of amazing. When the accusers heard him say this, and based on whatever he's doodling in the sand, they slip away. One by one. And even though John doesn't take note of what Jesus wrote down, he does take note of the order in which they leave. Starting with the oldest, as in the one who's made this trek to the temple the most. Starting with the oldest until only Jesus is left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. They're all gone. Then Jesus gets a little sarcastic. He stands up again, and I imagine that he does this in a sarcastic way because I would. Where are your accusers? Where did everybody go? They were here just a second ago, weren't they? Did I imagine this whole thing? What happened? What happened? Did no one condemn you? They were going to. I said that they should. I said that they they caught you. The law says to stone you. So let's have this happen. Whoever hasn't sinned gets to go first. Where did everybody go? Maybe he wasn't super over the top like that, but in my head, that I think makes for a better story. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. She said she called him Lord, which is a whole other thing in and of itself. And what happens next is maybe what you need to hear from Jesus this morning. Maybe it's what you need to hear, your view of how God sees you in your current lifestyle or how you have lived in the past, maybe this is what you need to hear that God thinks about you in this story. Jesus says, neither do I, neither do I. As the one who could pass down judgment, as the one who could condemn, the one who is perfect, who has no sin, the one who could have picked up a rock and thrown it, he says, I don't condemn you. Now go and don't sin anymore. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I think if we are to kind of change the perception of, of church, of what Jesus followers are like to people who... Uh, Not only not in church, but even just people in church. We judge each other so much, I think. My sin's not as bad as their sin or or whatever. I think we need to drop the rock. Whenever we do youth group messages, we always try and have a snappy, quick, little, easy-to-memorize phrase. And that's the one for this one. Drop the rock. Don't yet. Don't put your rock down. You're not allowed to drop your rock just yet. I think we need to stop judging each other. I think we need to stop judging those who are around us who don't believe the same as we do. I think we need to remember what Jesus said to us, I don't condemn you, is exactly the same thing Jesus would say to them. I don't condemn them. That as we've sung, we're no longer a slave to fear. We are a child of God. So are they. I think if we're going to change our communities, if we're going to change our world, we need to drop the rock of judgment that we so quick to carry around and so quick to hurl at other people. So three practical ways that I think we work this out. Number one, I think we need to stop measuring sin. By this, I think we need to stop deciding which sin is worse than others. My gossiping is fine because at least I'm not stealing from somewhere or my uh, living in a a, a bad way, my lying is okay because at least I'm not murdering people. We we do this and we kind of make this decision that my lifestyle is fine because at least it's not as bad as. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Anything that you're doing that's getting in the way of God's presence in your life is sin. It's not, Jesus would, I don't think, say that when you sin, you break God's laws. It's when you sin, you break God's heart because sin is sin. So stop measuring sin. I also think we need to see the story. If you saw the sinner the same way Jesus saw the sinner, I think it would change what you thought about them. If you took a second to learn their story, because isn't this true? The way you behave makes total sense to you if only everyone could see it from your perspective, if only people knew where you were coming from, I think we would be less likely to judge if we knew where people were at. So stop measuring sin, see the story, and focus on you, despicable me. I know my flaws. I know my weaknesses. And this isn't to say that that's what defines me, but that's to remind me that I was also forgiven, that Jesus said to me, neither do I. I don't pass down judgment. I offer you grace. So it's drop the rock and embrace grace. Now it rhymes. Isn't it so much better when it rhymes? Drop the rock of judgment and embrace grace for you and for those around you, both in and outside of church. Imagine what our world would look like if this is what Christians were known for. If we were known who we were for and that we were for Everybody instead of against everybody. So here's what I want you to do with the rock that you have in your hand. Here's how we're going to close. You have a group, you have a a, a kind of person that you are quick to judge. And this morning I want you to drop. That rock. So, what you are going to do in a second is I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna invite you to head to one of the corners of the room. There are tables that have Sharpies on them. And I want you to write on the rock that you have been holding on to the last 20 minutes or so what you put in this gap. I'm tempted to judge people who? Like, what is it? And don't ignore the first thing that you thought of, because that's the thing. People who live a certain way, there's a certain Kind of person that you are tempted to judge, the person that you are tempted to write off within moments. And then there is a bucket here, and there was another bucket over here. So once you have written down on your rock what you are most tempted to judge people for, come to the front and literally drop the rock. As awkward and as weird as it's going to be, I hope and I pray that you remember it tomorrow. Remember that part of church where the guy, had, we wrote on the rock what it was, and then I had to drop it into a bucket? I hope you remember that tomorrow, when you are tempted to judge again. And I hope you remember it on Thursday, when you are tempted to judge again. That's right, I dropped that rock. This could be the first step. And you going, no more. I'm choosing to drop the rock and embrace grace. Make sense? Let me pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you that you showed us grace first, that while we were still sinners, while we were still in a world of mess, you moved, you gave of yourself so that we could have full access to you. God, I pray that we remember that, that despite our circumstances, despite our past, that you don't look at us to condemn us, you look at us with grace. And it's my prayer, God, that I would do the same, that as I am your light in this world, that as I'm your representative in this world, that I would know that I am to do as you did, that I cannot be quick to pass judgment on people, but I should be quick to show grace. So would you speak to me this morning? Would you convict me? Would you show me What I need to to change in my thought pattern and my behavior and how I treat people around me so that I could be a better version of you, more like you tomorrow. We pray this in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.